Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm happy to be here to answer your finance and investment questions. And on this radio show and podcast, I'm going to always do my best to uh, help you, help guide you through a volatile market, through the unpredictability of investing. And, you know, we've witnessed volatile circumstances of late and uh, a shift in the cycle and things are changing and volatility presents opportunity. So are you ready? Are you ready for this market? Well, that's what we are here to do today is to take, give you one additional tool, at least hopefully more to make better money decisions each and every day, whether it's on the investment side, the saving side, uh, you know, the, the spending side, all of this is about building a sound financial future for yourself, creating financial freedom. So on today's program and podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So what I'm, no matter what I'm talking about, I'm here to give you the facts as I see them using my 20 plus years of investment experience, as well as tons and tons of data that I have right here in front of me. Technology is amazing. Uh, just, uh, you know, we subscribe to a lot of data feeds and we, we know how to kind of gather that all, uh, distill it into an understanding of what the business uh, is doing and give you a sense of the good and the bad. And so that is my goal is to present, present it all without bias. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape this show. So please call me right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, which I know thousands and thousands of you are doing, you can leave a message on our best talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888 chart So let's get to our first listener question. Now we're going to go talk with Alan. He's in Arkansas. He wants to talk about the cues. Yeah, Alan. I'm not. I'm not Alan. Justin. I've, I've I've had big positions in QQQ because I was just riding it up and not having to think. Now uh-huh. with the rotation, I'm wondering how much to keep. I mean, and and it's going to get hit hard tonight because of uh, Facebook. Facebook. So yeah. I'm just should I keep a should I keep a position or two? Well, obviously it depends on the context of the rest of your portfolio. A broad exposure to the big tech names, and that's not a bad way to go, uh, but I wouldn't be overweight that part of the market. 
And, you know, because it's, it's a large cap growth uh, 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 fund, basically, and heavily weighted towards those mega cap growth names. And as you see with Facebook recently, Netflix recently, uh, the only one that's really gotten out of the, the, the big drop on, on earnings has been Google which was uh, which had a nice day today. So you see that the and it was up nicely, uh, what eight, 9% today. But what you're seeing now is that when these big tech names, they don't hit it out of the park, they get punished dramatically. So so Facebook's down what over 20% so far today, Amazon was down big. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, Amazon had a, a nice uh, is in a nice downtrend. You had Netflix down big on its earnings a couple weeks ago, and so the misses are punished a lot more than the uh, th- than the wins. Uh, and so that shows you that there's a lot. It's a lot weaker hands that are in that market. So it's definitely an area that I would not be excited about holding much of my portfolio, if at all. And once again, continue to shift into the value side of the market. Now, in this this time, during the first half of this year, as growth is slowing, you probably want more utilities, consumer staples type value companies, as opposed to when you maybe get an acceleration in the economy. Well, that would be more your industrials, your your transportation, your, uh, your financials, etc. So there's different flavors of value, but uh, I definitely would be shifting out of the queues and into that side of the market. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Would early retirement be one of the worst money mistakes you can make? We're going to go over uh, kind of broad statistics around early retirement and especially baby boomers, which, you know, the, the, this pandemic has pushed a lot of them into early retirement or at least earlier retirement than many of them had been expecting. And that's a big driver in our tighter labor market and smaller labor force. And we're going to just dig into those numbers. Also, speaking of kind of cues and the value sector, uh, value over growth over the past 50 days, as of, as of last Thursday, the value versus growth outperformance was most by any 50 day period since the bursting of the tech bubble in 2000. Remember what I've been saying? This is very similar to that environment. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you have the the biggest divergence in the performance since that time. So we're going to look at that and what could maybe sustain the value over growth and what what potentially could happen where that complete shift may be put off for a a little while. Uh, Because you always have to look at both sides. There's two directions. Now, I still think value over growth is the likely uh, trend, but there are always factors that you have to monitor to make sure that uh, that trend is is still intact, okay? So we're going to look at that data as well. Also, consumers are pivoting. They're spending less on goods and more on services, traveling, dining out, things like that. And what type of shift in demand are we seeing in the underlying economy? And then lastly, I want to talk about an interesting, I don't, we don't talk about unions very much because union power is fairly weak in this country, but historically uh, unions have had a lot of power and with a tight labor market, there's uh, been a shift in power to the workers and Amazon workers especially are starting to unionize and what 
lessons could be taken from that that could apply to other companies and where there might be risks for higher wage growth and higher, uh, you know, higher costs for, for companies, which obviously impacts earnings. So we're going to look at that as well. But I want to know what's on your mind. So 888.99 chart is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's look at the market today. The S&P was up about 42 points, a little less than 1% overall. And we hit uh, the 618 retrace from this recent move. So definitely into some resistance. You had growth, underperforming value, small cap growth, definitely the worst. If you look at the Morningstar style box, down on the bottom right, negative 1.8%. Large cap growth, down 0.73%. But large cap value, up about 0.8%. Mid cap value, about 0.7%. Uh, and uh, that's, that's where the market was today. Definitely leaning on the value side over growth. You had oil up just a bit. The XLE, the energy uh, ETF, that was up about a third of a percent. Still a bit overbought there. Gold had a good day. Same with uh, the miners. They had a, a pretty good day as well. And then if you're looking at uh, the areas of, of real strength, the, the, the consumer staples, like I said, that was up, uh, XLP was up 91 cents, a little over uh, one, about one and a half percent on the day there. And then XLU, that was up over a dollar. So yeah, and over one and a half percent as well. So you're getting that move into the non-cyclical side of the market. And a lot of that had to do, I think, with the non-farm payroll announcement, uh, excuse me, the non-farm payroll ADP announcement, the, non the actual non-farm payroll number comes out on Friday, but the ADP number came in at negative 300,000 jobs. Now, part of that has to do maybe with Omicron, but the expectation was a growth of 200,000 jobs. So that pretends to a weak jobs number for January, which would maybe put the Fed on a pause for definitely raising rates 50 basis points, which I think was a... a, 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 a a potential in March, but as we get more and more economic data, that's looking like a lower and lower possibility. So you saw rates come in a little bit, and that's why you saw those consumer staples, utility sectors do pretty well. Now we're moving into a break. Jacob from the Bay Area, hang on, we'll be with you next. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. We're going to go talk to Jacob. He's in the Bay Area looking at IAT, which is the iShares U.S. Regional Bank ETF. Uh, I'm assuming you're trying to gain a little exposure to the financials and maybe this is a vehicle for you. Yeah, exactly. I'm uh, looking to pick this up in my retirement account. I know mm -hmm. you are big on uh, regional banks, so I was just wondering what you thought of this ETF after it's pulled back a little bit. Yeah, well, I will say I like regional banks uh, in a rising rate environment, and I like them in, in this environment more than your, your large banks. So we've talked about that. Uh, I am kind of neutral on them right now because I don't think with – the economic growth slowing, I don't think rates are really going to go up a ton in the near term. You had this surge into uh, in the first couple of weeks of the year, and it's kind of leveled out. And what what I think is we've kind of hit peak expectations of Fed rate hikes. And as you see economic data come in, like today with the ADP number, 
And the Fed GDP now number finally came out yesterday. Remember, that's their estimate of what's happening in the economy, what growth is like for the first quarter. Their first estimate was 0.1%, not 1%, 0.1% for the first quarter. So you start to add these things up and you're seeing some weakness in the consumer uh, income growth uh, month over month has been negative. Uh, there, there, you know, it, it, the cost of, of gasoline and, and uh, energy just continues to go up and that's uh, that's eating into consumer wallets. So I don't think that the fed is going to be as aggressive when it comes to uh, raising rates. And so I think we're at a little bit, kind of peak hawkishness priced into the market. And so I, I think I'm more neutral. I, I still think rates are going to go up over the, the medium to long term, but not dramatically. And right now we're in kind of maintenance mode, uh, kind of sideways, in, in my guess, chop uh, to the downside, probably through the, the middle of the year. So yes, it's pulled back, but I'd be a bit patient. And it, but I like this vehicle. I like what you're looking at. I like the type of companies, the kind of, kind of banks that it owns, well diversified, it owns about 39 different names. So I would be patient on it. Um, because I do think you'll get bigger dips as you see dips in interest rates. Uh, and then I would probably uh, pick it up for probably the second half of the year. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Would early retirement be one of the worst mis money mistakes you could make? So this is coming from a researcher uh, in, from Boston College. And she says that early retirement is a decision that uh, it can, can make be one of the biggest money mistakes that people regret, 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 excuse me. And the main reason, she says, is because people are, as a group, lousy savers, and they make early retirement simply unaffordable. Now, I think this is very generalized. That's my issue with uh, with her article, is that, yeah, the vast majority of people who retire uh, aren't, aren't prepared, don't have a plan. According to the Boston College Center of Retirement Research, they report that half of today's working families risk a major living standard decline in retirement. And that would drop by 50% if all workers retired two years later. And she's saying that almost two-thirds of people between ages of 57 and 66 choose to retire early out of their own volition, despite having to save next to nothing. And so... There are 76 million baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964, and half of them have little, if any, savings. The median wealth is just 144000 less than three years of median household spending. And only one in three have a pension apart from Social Security. And most people, 85, don't wait until full, the full age of 70 to, to, to collect their Social Security, where it's 76% higher adjusted for inflation. And so... This whole these whole stats are basically saying, hey, you should retire. You, you if you need to be absolutely sure you can afford it, have a plan because you're probably going to live till 90, 95, maybe 100 years old, and you have to have a solid plan. So, don't rush retirement. We're going to a break, so give me a call at eight 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 ninety nine chart. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect. And this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein 
They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. I want to quickly follow up on what uh, I just touched on, which was early retirement. And, you know, there's, there's certainly numbers that back up that most people aren't ready for early retirement. But it's not always about the numbers either. And when I say that, it's not, I'm not saying you ignore the numbers. No, numbers absolutely matter. You have to have a plan. You have to uh, map out what your likely path from date of retirement until death will look like. So you're not destitute and living in a situation that you don't want to be in in your 80s and 90s, right? Uh, but also, it has to do with the quality of life that you're living uh, in retirement. And the idea of retirement oftentimes is more exciting than actually retirement. And you can talk to uh, Steve about that, uh, my partner. And, you know, he retired in his 40s from the insurance industry. And he could have stayed retired for a long period of time, but he decided to. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. My grandfather, um, many people haven't heard this story. My grandfather founded our company, KP Financial. And he was Steve's advisor through the 90s. And Steve kept half uh, his money and he gave half to my grandfather. And my grandfather always beat him. And so when, he, when Steve retired, he said, hey, I want to learn what you do. I want to just kind of be, be an intern. He was a 40-something-year-old intern, just wanted to sit down and, and learn the business and, and why my grandfather always beat him. And you know they both did well, but my grandfather always did better. And so he ended up uh, kind of interning, just learning the, the business because that's what he was interested in. He wanted to do. Um, he wasn't even paid. It was completely free. Uh, randomly, within a year or two, uh, Lyle, uh, my grandfather's first partner, passed away suddenly in uh, near 2000. And then that's when Steve kind of stepped in, bought half the company, and then uh, started to do this and do something he really wanted to do uh, as opposed to just sitting at home, he, he liked to garden, but how much gardening can you do in, in a month? And, you know, each month and after a month, he got kind of bored with that. And so, you know, when you do retire, you want to make sure that you have not just a financial plan, but a lifestyle plan that will make you happy and fulfilled throughout retirement. And maybe that's just uh, being with family, but oftentimes that's not enough either. Oftentimes it, it can be, you know, you want to, you want to have hobbies, you want to have friends, you want to travel, things that uh, make your life uh, fulfilling. So, you know, we talk a lot about numbers here. Uh, but there's quantitative analysis, there's qualitative analysis, and both are big factors when making any decision in life. So I just wanted to make that point. Let's go to Ricardo. He's in Linwood, California. He wants to talk about getting into the market. Hey, how's it going, Jason? This is uh, Ricardo uh, from Linwood, California. Thank you for the show. Thank uh, nice. listen to it uh, every day now. Mm -hmm. uh, so my question was... Um, Due to the prices, the high prices over here in California and the home, uh, my question was, would it be a good idea to hop on the uh, real estate market uh, on a different state? And this is just uh, as an investment, not as a, as a play to stay, but just in, as an investment, taking advantage of the low interest rates, or would, would uh, just waiting for the house market to drop, would that be a better idea? So are you, you're talking about buying out of state, correct? Correct. Okay, as an investment for appreciation or cash flow? 
Uh, more, well, uh, I guess a little bit of both. Uh, a bit of cash flow, uh, but also appreciation. I was looking into, like, uh, uh, North Carolina, Charlotte, for example, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which is an ongoing city. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I like what, what you're thinking about. Yeah, are the kind of the gateway cities, so not your big metropolitan uh, areas like New York, San Francisco, L.A., but those emerging type of city centers that are are cheaper and a lot of people from those larger city centers are, are moving too because they get more home and there's still a lot of good jobs and businesses but and just better lifestyle o- overall for the the money that you're spending and so jumping on that 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 train uh, is probably a good idea uh, overall over the long term. So that's where you would potentially get that price appreciation. But that's always second. Price appreciation should always be second to cash flow. And with our prices already have gone up uh, a decent amount, you know, what does that cash flow look like, especially now that uh, interest have gone up a bit, right? The 30 year fix is around three and three quarters for an investment property. It's going to be probably 50 basis points higher than that. So you're looking north of 4%. And so the numbers have to work out and you need to be, uh, you need to be able to own that for an extended period of time because prices have gone up and maybe interest rates are going to continue to go up. Maybe mortgage rates hit five, six, 7% in the next five years or so. And prices that that could drive prices down overall, and you need to be able to hold through any downturn in the real estate market. So I like what you're thinking about if you're looking to invest in real estate to go out of state, California cap rates aren't going to be very good, uh, and and the price appreciation I don't think is going to be nearly as good as it's been in the past. And the, I think those gateway cities are are probably a better uh, a better buy. Uh, like North Carolina. So I like what you're thinking uh, uh, about to start, but make sure all those other boxes are checked before you make any large decision like that. Thanks for the call, Ricardo. Now, the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline. NFT traders should get ready for a potential tax bill shock. Regulators have signaled that they are preparing to act aggressively to ensure that those who purchase NFTs are taxed appropriately. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. 
AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hello, this is Selena from Minnesota. I had a question about AmeriCold. It's a REIT. C-O-L-D. They focus on the ownership, operation, and acquisition and de- development of temperature-controlled warehouses. I'm intrigued by the business model, and I believe the demand is only going to continue to grow globally. But I'm a little confused when I look at the balance sheet. The earnings look inconsistent, and I think they have a lot of debt. But I'm not sure if I'm reading the numbers right, and I'm not sure if I even have the correct data. So I was hoping that you would be able to take a look at it for me, and if you like it, if you can let us know a good entry point. I'll be listening on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. All right. Looking at AmeriCole, this is one of the largest or the largest global owner of temperature-controlled warehouses here in the U.S. Uh, 85% of its revenue comes from the U.S., uh, but they also have business in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And the chart looks terrible, absolutely terrible. You're down... 31% from its 52-week high in a consistent downtrend. And the main reason is earnings are struggling. 2020, earnings were $1.30, or funds from operation. 2021, expect to be full year, $1.15. And this year, $1.20. And those estimates, both of them, are coming down. Over the last three quarters, revenues have gone up 42%, 36%, and 31% for the last three quarters, respectively. But earnings are down, or funds from operation are down 10% last quarter, 7% the quarter before, 9% the quarter before that. So revenues are going up, but costs or profits are going down. Why is that? Well, I think a lot of that has to do, these are temperature-controlled warehouses. Energy costs are going up. And if energy is going to stay relatively high, then I don't want to be in this name. And their operating cash flow has been consistently negative. They... 
are paying a dividend, but they can't afford that dividend. And like you said, they're, uh, they have a decent amount of debt and that debt's been, uh, looks like it's been going up. They've been issuing more shares, excuse me, actually their debt hasn't been going, uh, going up, but their share count has, and that's really what they've, how they've been affording this, this, uh, this dividend. So they had a 70 million shares outstanding in 2017, went up to 144, almost over doubled that in 2018, then to 184, then to 207, and now up to 244 million shares outstanding. Absolutely not. <laughs> I do not want to touch this name with your money. This is not a name I want to own. Uh, the trends in the business uh, look terrible outside of revenue. Their profits uh, and margins are are very rough, and cash flows are very negative. So I'm absolutely passing on Americold. Trailing 12 months return on equity is two, negative two percent. Uh, this is far. This is far down the list. This is near the bottom of the list of the type of REITs that I would want to own. So absolutely, I'm not going to give you a price because I would not want to own this name. Let's go to Bobby in Atlanta looking at DGX. Yeah, Quest Diagnostics, Justin. How are yep. you doing? Doing good. Do you own it or looking to buy it? No, uh, I was looking to buy it. It's dropped from its high, like around mm-hmm. 170 to, I think, 130, some change. And it's reporting earnings tomorrow, which I don't know what it's going to look like. But um, what do you think at these levels? No, <laughs> I would not own this. They've benefited mightily from the pandemic, testing and uh, that's that's going away look uh, you have many nordic countries you have the uk uh they're, they're they've all dropped their pandemic restrictions and testing is th- there's gonna be drastically more tests over the past two years than there will be in the next two years uh when it comes to COVID. and so the tailwinds that have brought earnings from pre-pandemic of six dollars and fifty six cents for Quest, all the way up to fourteen dollars and eleven cents total for this year, uh, that's going to revert backwards. In fact, analysts are already expecting that down from fourteen dollars and eleven cents last year to expected eight dollars and sixty nine cents this year, down thirty eight percent. And those estimates are coming down already. Absolutely not. I think this is easily going to uh, the one teen. So that one thirty five now, another ten to fifteen percent downside, uh, bare minimum, and would not shock me to see this in the uh, below one hundred again over the next couple of years. Good company, but just massive headwinds in, in the in the near term. And this is exactly the type of pandemic company that is going to see uh, their their business retrench. Uh, once we get back to normal and as you see like i said with with uh, many countries in europe starting to think that way that this is endemic and i think eventually we get there uh you're seeing that with public sentiment and eventually uh, i think the politicians get around to it as well so uh name on the watch list i like the company as a whole longer term but near medium term i think there's a lot more downside to come now when people take the time to leave an invest talk podcast review on itunes we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly so here are some questions from itunes reviewers a or a says i would would it be possible to explore adding a reject or possible downsize stock section adjacent to the stock pick section or to list stocks that would be risky to own in the current market environment uh yeah i actually sent this to my team and what we what we're talking about doing is potentially in the newsletter adding kind of overweight and underweight different sectors, uh, and that would maybe help uh, the our newsletter subscribers 
allocate and overweight uh, particular sectors and underweight particular sectors that um, in their portfolio. So that's something that we're we're looking at. Uh, and then uh, another question, would you offer some advice, general speaking, on when to sell a stock and what metrics to pay attention to and what flags to look for? Uh, we can't do that. So that's uh, the SEC rules around buy and sell recommendations. That's why we say these are stock ideas. These are companies to put in your watch list. They're never stocks to say, you go buy these now. These are saying, these are good companies. We like the company as a whole. Doesn't mean you go buy it today, but it's something you should have on your watch list. And if the, the valuation lines up, uh, your uh, the, the, the backdrop of the economy lines up, then these are companies that you wanna consider buying. But never think of them as stock recommendations because we can't do that. We have to track it, it's a big pain. SEC rules. So we can't say, oh, hey, we, we had the stock idea six months ago. Now we think you should sell it. We just can't do that, unfortunately. But we are looking into potentially adding kind of overweight and underweight particular sectors. Thanks for the suggestion. Now let's touch a bit on value versus growth. Like I said at the top of the show, as of last Thursday, value stocks beat growth stocks by the most of any 50-day period since the tech bubble burst in 2000. Now, the question is, does that re mark the rebirth of a, a strategy that is, hasn't done well since the, really the financial crisis? Or is it just another spasm? And technology stocks will rebound like they have recently, and that will be sustained. Well, I think a lot has to do with bond yields uh, in general and expectations for liquidity in the system. And it's not a coincidence that... When interest rates really started to rise, uh, late 2020, and especially in the 2021, the growth stocks peaked. If you look at a lot of the, I call them Ponzi stocks, your Pelotons of the world, uh, a lot of them peaked in January, February of last year. And while you had this big you know, fall from grace on uh, uh, many of the larger names more recently, you see that that was something that was long in the tooth, right? It's, it had been there uh, in the market, underlying the market and the indexes, if you actually paid attention. And so if you're value investors like us, this may mark a, a moment where, hey, cheap stocks can return to the rightful place of being a strategy that leads performance overall. Uh, what you have to think about is it's not just about interest rates, but it's also about sentiment as well. And while tighter liquidity, higher bond yields can be a catalyst for kind of pricking that 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 growth stock bubble, bubble, I guess you could say, that it's not just about the, the numbers, because it's a lot about that sentiment. And sentiment often often gets very offside. So there will be a time and I would say there are a handful of kind of growthier names, mid and small cap companies mainly, that they've gone down so much that it's just been overdone. And there are some decent growth values out there. But they're probably not your larger names. They're probably your smaller names that have less liquidity and therefore they tend to sink faster. And that's just the nature of how these things move. So growth investors aren't doing discounted cash flow models and things like that. It's more on the story, as you know, call them story stocks and sentiment. And so you're going to see ebbs and flows. You're going to see rallies in, in uh, growthier names, 
But as long as rates stay on a general upward path, those growthier stocks, which would be higher duration type of companies that don't pay dividends, meaning their cash flows are farther out, those are going to be hurt the most. Whereas value stocks tend to be highest dividend payers, their duration is very soon because they're paying dividends currently for the most part. And so that's why value tends to outperform in a rising interest rate environment, in a higher inflationary environment, and that's what we're in now. And the question is, will it last? And we think it will because of uh, ESG and higher energy prices, uh, onshoring of manufacturing. Like I've said, I think yesterday, go to our YouTube channel, go back to our webinar in November, and you'll see the full layout of, of, of why there's many factors lining up that is likely to mean secular inflation as opposed to secular deflation, which we just had for the past uh, 30 years or so. All right, so let's go to actually uh, February has started. It's a new year moving along and uh, it's it's a fast pace. And the question is, can you keep up with it all? It's, it's a lot. Uh, you tune into the show. Hopefully you do other things as well, because you're not going to be able to get all the data, all the information you need to build a, a successful strategy by just listening to us. It may be a tool, tool in your toolbox, but you need to have a lot of different tools. So if you need to understand whether you have enough tools, whether your actual plan is aligned with your risk tolerance level with the current market environment, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, meaning, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So we operate with the same philosophy, independent thinking and shared success, and that's how we prove it. We do what we uh, do for our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office in Irvine at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Next up, we'll go back to the InvestTalk voice bank. So hang on. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to InvestTalk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free InvestTalk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and InvestTalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24-7. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is TJ. I just had a question on Huntsman Corporation, stock ticker Hotel Uniform Nancy. It seems to be trading at a fairly low PE, which it does historically over time. I'm looking to diversify within materials sector. This one looks to be fairly diverse as a company itself, having polyurethane, performance products, advanced materials, and textiles. I like the valuation. However, it has ran up quite a bit over the course of the last year. Still thinking there's some room to run, given that they should have a pretty decent margin and have a diverse business. So if you can give me any input, that'd be great. I look forward to hearing on the show. Thanks. All right. So this is a basically a chemical company and 
they produce, I'm not going to say the type of company, type of chemicals, but they go into things like adhesives, aerospace industry, automotive, construction, fairly well diversified. Looks like U.S., Canada, Europe, yeah, they have a, a large, broad geographical reach, about an $8 billion market cap. So in that mid-cap space, revenues up 51% last quarter, earnings up 238%. And clearly, they're benefiting from uh, a, a tighter market, and they're able to deliver. And their margins uh, have been expanding their... Current net margins are 10%. 2020, they were 17%. And before that, over the last decade or so, that only averaged in 5% five, 5 or so, something like that on average. So to me, it looks like they're over-earning. And I would really need to dig into the details of their business and understand, is this a lasting dynamic that will allow them to have sustainable high say 10% net margins. And that means higher than average return on equity, 12 months, 22%, last year, 33%. Both good, solid numbers. Now their free cash flow hey, recently Stephen, has Justin, dwindled dramatically. So I, I worry a bit about that. And so why is their, well, their margins increased, but their cash flow, their operating cash flow hasn't kept up. In fact, in fact, it's been dwindling since 2019. So a very murky picture here. Now, what I will say is the chart is strong. It is, yeah, it's above its 50-day moving average, which you can't say that for a lot of companies in the market right now. So the technicals look strong. If I feel confident in their broad business, which right now I don't, I, I can't really assess that, um, then I would like it because I like the chart. Uh, and the valuation isn't off, but I would need to know that the current earnings are sustainable over the longer term. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have go one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give me a call at 888 99Chart. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen, Justin. I'm calling today about SSD, Simpson Manufacturing. I was wondering... How do you think the stock will perform given the current market environment? I invested in the company simply because I wanted a little bit of cyclical exposure to a company that provided some sort of building product, and they have almost no debt as of their latest quarterly report. Thanks. All right, looking at Simpson Manufacturing, and first off, I always like to think big picture. Does that make sense? Does that theory make sense that you want to own some a company that has inputs into buildings uh, because there's a lot of demand for end final building products like like homes. And I think the answer to that question is yes. I think that's a, a good thought process. Now the question is then what is the best company out there that allows you to accomplish that goal? So this is how you think about building a portfolio. And so let's dig into SSD. This is a, let me pull this up here. 
It manufactures wood connectors, screws, fastening systems, collated screws, and shear walls uh, in the manufacturing of all types of of, uh, projects. So residential, light industrial, commercial construction markets, remodeling, do-it-yourself markets, uh, mainly here in the U.S. And you look at the numbers, and consistently over the past five years, the return on equity has been kind of the mid-teens, but now it's uh, it's kind of up to about 22%. Clearly, this tight labor market, uh, prices that are higher for uh, end products, those, those homes, and do-it-yourselfers, are, are, there's a lot of do-it-yourselfers as well. And so there's a lot of demand for, for their products, and their margins have increased from about 11% pre-pandemic to about 15.5% today. So the question is, are they maybe over-earning? Is that going to... Uh, moderate uh, in the near future, probably to some degree, but I think the demand overall is going to remain robust. And the free cash flow trailing 12 months, about $152 million. Decent, but compared to their $5 billion market cap, that's, that's not really exciting. They are buying back some shares, about a million shares over the last 12 months, which is nice, but there's, only, there's 44 million shares outstanding now. So it's not only about 2% of the overall float. So not exactly a, a giant amount either. So I like they don't have a lot of debt, but the valuation right now about 17 times, sorry, 13 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Historically, it's not really cheap until that gets down to the high single digits and not 13 now. So I don't think it's cheap. I think they're a bit over earning right now. Uh, they're, they're based on the current valuation and the cash flow and the earnings. I just don't see this as the best option out there. I'm finding others within this industry that are much cheaper, have better growth, have better cash flow. And so I think you have better opportunities. So you're on the right track. You're following the right things, thinking the right way. But I don't think this is the name. I think you need to do a little more research within the industry. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot lastly to the shift in consumer spending. And as we know, People spent a lot, of, a lot of money on goods during the pandemic. In fact, pre-pandemic, the average uh, goods averaged 31% of total personal consumption in the two years before the pandemic. In the March and April timeframe of 2021, so just last year, that soared to 36%. 36%. Doesn't sound like a huge increase, but it is. That share, though, has dropped as of December down to 34%. And consumers are spending... Uh, less on goods. In fact, in the month of December, consumers spent on goods fell for the second month in a row while spending on services increased slightly. So things like eating out, traveling, uh, entertainment of some kind, those are definitely getting a boost. So when you're thinking about the companies that you're, that you're investing in, you have to think, okay, is that shift back towards a normal mix of goods versus services, is that going to benefit the company or is it going to uh, maybe bring their their business down a bit? And you have to think about that and discount that potential trend. So a lot of people are looking at the backwards looking da- data and not looking forward. Remember the investors, you, when you're investing, you want to look through the windshield, not the rear view mirror. The data that you're looking at is always backwards looking. And so you have to understand the current economic trends and say, okay, that backwards looking data, is that going to look better in the future or is it going to look worse? And that's a big part of your job as an investor. 
I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which we can find over at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Now it's official. We crossed over the 38 million download mark and on our way to 39. And thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.